You're listening to the Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Howard. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. I am your host, as per usual. And before we get into the Oilers talk, let's thank our sponsor, DraftKings. The second round is in full swing, and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering a free-to-play pool every day of the basketball playoffs offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day. The best part, it's totally free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to the pools page, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track the results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. As I said before, my name is Connor Halley. I will be your host for the next 40 or so minutes here as we talk about those Edmonton Oilers. Of course, new editions of this show every Tuesday and Friday. And on the show today, we will talk to Zach Lang. He is the news director for Oilers Nation and the Nation Network. Does a lot of great work there. You can give him a follow on Twitter at ZJLang. I highly recommend you do so. Very witty guy. He's got lots of good information about the Oilers and, of course, all the links to his articles. We'll get to Zach later on in this show, but we got to talk about some of the news of the day. And, of course, we'll get this out of the way. Connor McDavid, no surprise, a nominee for the NHL MVP, the Hart Trophy. He, alongside Austin Matthews and Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. And I think Connor McDavid, he's got to be the pretty heavy favorite going into this one. He had 105 points in 56 games. That was 21 more than the runner-up. And coincidentally, his teammate on the Edmonton Oilers, Leon Dreisaitl. And if they do so, they'll be the first teammates to win the award back-to-back since 1970. Phil Esposito and Bobby Orr doing it for the Boston Bruins. I'm not going to say it's a guarantee. I'll say 97% chance Connor McDavid wins that award. He's also, of course, the nominee for the Lindsay Award, which is the best player voted on by the players. He, Austin Matthews, and Sidney Crosby. No disrespect to the other two, but Connor McDavid was clearly the best player in the NHL this past season. 105 points in a 56-game season. That's absolutely incredible. Also making some news, it was announced on Wednesday evening that Devin Shore re-signing with the Oilers, a two-year deal with an AAV of $850,000, $75,000 more than the league minimum. Hypothetically, if things go wrong, you can always bury him in the minors and there'll be no cap it for the Edmonton Oilers, but they're locking in a member of their bottom six. Shore played in 38 games this past season for the Oilers. He had five goals, two of which were empty netters, nine points in total in the playoffs. He played in two games, had one assist, uh, got a little bit of ice time in that triple overtime loss to the Jets in game four. But Devin Shore, this one surprised me only because the Oilers fan base was so divided on it. A lot of fans said, hey, you know what? You're locking up a guy, bottom six. 
He's not making a whole lot of money. Worst case scenario, you can probably put him in Bakersfield, and it's probably not going to be a huge issue. Now, there are other people that talked about his five-on-five play where he wasn't very good. you got to be honest with it. It was not very good, and some people thought that you probably could have waited later on to sign him, maybe down the road, maybe it's a PTO once again. But for Ken Holland, checks one thing off his box. He knows what he has in Devin Shore. Obviously likes him, thinks he can be a key contributor for the Oilers in that bottom six. And, you know, now we find out and see what happens. It's one of those things where hindsight's going to be 2020. For me, I'm not going to get too worried about it. There's things you can complain about. There's things you can argue about. I'm not going to worry about a deal for Devin Shore with the amount that he was paid. The second year, a little bit of concern. We'll see what happens, though. Ken Holland has a lot of summer, a lot of time left to, to build this team up and add other players. There could be a point where we don't even worry about Devin Shore. He might be a guy who's, you know, watching from the press box as the team's 13th forward. We'll find out and see what happens. But obviously, Oilers fans, passionate. I love it. And uh, another <laughs> another example of it was shown when Devin Shore signed with the Edmonton Oilers. And you know what? We're going to bring in someone who was on this side and, and brought up some good numbers saying that this signing maybe wasn't the most important thing or maybe shouldn't have been the highest priority for Ken Holland. Zach Lang will join me right now. He, of course, writes at OilersNation.com. You can give him a follow on Twitter at ZJLang. Zach, thank you so much for doing this today. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, just... uh been spending the last 24 odd hours arguing with the Oilers Twitter internet about uh, the Devon Shore signing, so that's been fun. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, doing pretty well though. So I, I tweeted out, like, I, I didn't even want to get into it with people. Like, I, I do that all day at work. I thought, I'm just going to take the night off. But I just tweeted out that I was a little bit surprised about how divisive, you know, that contract would be. It's, you know, a, a fourth-line guy, uh, you know, maybe someone who's not even in the lineup, could be down in Bakersfield. Were you surprised at the reaction from the Oilers fan base uh, when Devin Shore signs the two-year extension with an AAV of 875000 I'm not overly, to be honest with you. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a bit of a concerning signing in a couple of ways. Um, I think first and foremost, you know, it could be a sign of things to come, and I think that's something that could be a little bit nerve-wracking, right? Obviously, they felt that Devin Shore getting re-signed was priority number one. And I know yesterday Ryan Rashog had mentioned on Twitter, too, that, you know, it's kind of all part of the process, and, and sometimes it's certain pieces of business happen quicker than other ones. Um, but I wasn't surprised to see Devin Shore, um, you know, getting this kind of a reaction uh, from the Oilers fan base. He's been a bit of a divisive player. And this is a, a player who got a, a pretty fair amount of time in the Oilers' bottom six in, in the later part of the season and really struggled uh, in doing so uh, purely from a numbers perspective. Um, he's kind of one of those perfect guys that's kind of, uh, he's kind of one of those perfect cusp players who is like the perfect argument for I test versus analytics, uh, and it's definitely something as we've seen uh, that's been quite divisive in the community. Now, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here because you know you said there that could be number one priority. To me, it kind of seemed like potentially it was just an easy deal. Like it, it's low money, and uh, I know there's some people that will say you know why, why him, why first? Like you know you could have probably waited towards the end of free agency. It could have been a PTO. But um, do you do you think it might have just been a case for Ken Holland where it was like let's just get this one done and out of the way and not have to worry about it later? Yeah, full stop. I mean, I, I mean, I, I totally understand, um, you know, the whole process of, of getting business done when it's when it's available. Look, obviously, this is a guy that the Oilers value within the organization. 
um, and value enough to have offered him a two-year contract. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's a pretty low-risk deal, right? It's a two-year contract, 875 AZ, and it's one that can be buried in the American League um, pretty quickly, you know? But I think, you know, for a fan base in Edmonton that's been seeing the bottom six getting consistently caved in for the last 10 years or so, it's disappointing to see... Um, you know, them going back to the well with a guy like Devin Shore, who, you know, as I mentioned, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, um, you know, really struggled uh, analytically and in terms of his goal rate. So, you know, I think there's there's a little bit of cause for concern in the signing, but in the same breath, too, you know, the truth is it could be a fairly inconsequential signing. And, and hopefully it's it's a, a sign that, you know, Ken Holland says, okay, yeah, Devin Shore is a guy you know, we as an organization feel we can trust and rely on to be a solid fourth-line player when need be. And hopefully they can shoot higher than that and, you know, go pull in some better players in free agency that can push a guy like Devin Shore down the lineup. Now, Zach, you had some great work up at OilersNation.com talking about Devin Shore and his 5-on-5 five five struggles. What did the numbers show you about Shore 5-on-5? Five five? So at 5-on-5, five five, what, what we saw from Devin Shore is that he was uh, analytically one of the worst players in the league. Um, you know, I think there's a, a large contingent of people out there who um, feel that analytics is, is just numbers and, and it's just money ball, like, you know, the old Oakland A's baseball team. Um, and, and there's really a lot more to it than that. You know, I think something people need to realize is that, you know, analytics is being adopted on a large scale um, by almost every major NHL team in every major organization right now. Um, some of the teams that are still playing in the playoffs, the majority of them heavily rely on analytics um, to build out their rosters. A team like Colorado, a team like Vegas, for example. You know, Toronto, obviously, they got eliminated probably earlier than they wanted to, um, but they were one of the best teams in the regular season as well. Um, so I think, you know, what we're able to see analytically is we're looking at shots and goals, and that's all that we're talking about here really shot attempts, rather. So for a guy like Devin Shore at 5-on-5 five five this year, he, he the Oilers only controlled 38.35% of the shot attempts um, when he was on the ice. And goals-wise, the Oilers only controlled 34.62% of the actual goal share. And those are some numbers that were among the worst in the league. Um, his shot share among 364 players who played just over 360 minutes his shot attempt share was the worst, uh, and, his, and his goal share was the 15th worst. So when we're looking at analytics like this, what we can see just based off of that is that, you know, for every three shots the opposition gets on the Oilers, uh, shot attempts the opposition gets on the Oilers' net, um, you know, there's two that are coming back the other way. So, you know, when we're talking about things like Corsi and we're talking about things like, you know, goal rates, we want to see those around 50%. Um, that's more or less the league average, maybe a little bit lower than that in certain situations with different teams. Um, so it's it's difficult to kind of look at this signing and say, well, you know, given the fact that the Oilers played him so much last year, um, you know, as a fourth liner, you know, he's also a guy that got a pretty significant bump in the playoffs, you know, in game two, I think it was, or I can't remember which game it was now, uh, against Winnipeg, but he found himself up on the second line alongside Ryan McLeod and Zach Cassian. And he doubled his time on ice in the playoffs versus in the regular season. So for, you know, a guy like him to be getting slid up the lineup, he's consistently struggling analytically. Now this is where the eye test comes into play, and this is where you have to kind of find that middle ground because, 
you know, for a guy like Shore, when you watch him out there, you like what he does, right? He's a, he's a physically engaging player. He finds himself in the right positions more often than not. And he doesn't appear to be one of these guys that really struggles analytically. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the game of hockey and, and any pro sport in that matter is a results-based business. And the results show that, you know, Devin Shore is not uh, a consistently valuable um, member of the Oilers' bottom six. Now, I like your article because, you know, you make it kind of simple here. You space it out. The, the one thing that stands out, and, and you mentioned it, among 364 forwards who played over 362 minutes, his uh, attempted shot share was worst in the league and his goal share was 15th worst. So, uh, I mean, when you're looking at other alternatives and, and you know, you know, guys you could potentially could have brought in to do what Devin Shore does at maybe a higher level. I mean, is this something you could replace with free agency on a cheaper level, even a PTO? Like, what are other routes you think Ken Holland could have done to fill that spot? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's two ways to look at it. First of all, you can look internally within the organization. Um, you know, you've got a young guy in Bakersfield and Tyler Benson who's really taken some steps in his game. Obviously, there's some question marks about his foot speed and whether or not that can translate to an NHL level. Um, but a guy like Devin Shore is a guy who's taking away time, more likely than not, from a guy like Tyler Benson in the lineup. Uh, you know, when we're talking about the development of prospects, obviously we want them playing as much as possible. Benson's gotten that opportunity in the American League now for, for three consistent years. So, you know, something that could be concerning heading into camp next year is that you know, Dave Tippett has trust in David in a guy like Devin Shore, um, and that could hold a guy like Tyler Benson back out of the lineup. And then, of course, you know, the other option to go is, of course, free agency. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what the free agent class is going to look like. Uh, there's a number of players that are out there that, you know, could be solid replacement players. You know, when we're talking about a guy like Devin Shore, we're talking about somebody who is at the lowest levels percent-wise uh, in most of the major categories in the NHL. So, you know, a guy like him is somebody that could be easily replaced in playoffs and for probably, um, you know, not much more or the same amount of money that he's really costing the team right now. I like what you say there, actually, with Tyler Benson. Like, I mean, a guy who's, you know, progressively got better at the AHL level, I think many would agree the next step is to jump up to the NHL and see if it translates. And another thing you said with, uh, you know, head coach Dave Tippett, at times he does show loyalty to those guys that he really likes. I mean, we saw it with Mike Smith the last few years. He'll throw him back out there after a bad start uh, to try to build that confidence. Do you think that at times Coach Tippett maybe does this and it can be a detriment to the team? Like, let's just go to next year if uh, Tyler Benson does make the big club. Do you think there could be situations where maybe, you know, there's a little favoritism towards the veteran and it does hold back Tyler Benson? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's because we've already seen it happening in Edmonton with Tyler Benson. You know, of course, he got that recall of seven games or so Mm -hmm. uh, last year before the pandemic hit. And he really struggled to not only get a consistent spot in the lineup, but really play once he was out there on the ice. Um, you know, Dave Tippett is one of those uh, coaches who loves his veterans, uh, much like, you know, Todd McClellan was uh, when he was in Edmonton. He, he often favored, you know, veteran players over younger players. Uh, a good example could be like um, favoring a guy like Chris Russell over top of Caleb Jones, um, who is another divisive um, player in the Oilers uh organization and within the fan base right so yeah there's there's definitely that level of concern because 
you know, when you look around the league, you know, you're seeing teams are having young players in their lineup on cheap entry-level contracts that are helping them win games. And I think Tyler Benson is one of those guys that's ready to make that jump to the NHL and is one of those guys that should be, you know, a focus point of the Oilers' bottom six heading into next season and saying, okay, well, how can we build around, you know, this player who the organization has put a lot of time and effort into developing to ensure that he's not only getting the best shot that he can get, um, but also so that the team can be the most successful they can be. Zach Lane from Oilers Nation joining me here on the Other Connor Podcast. Uh, Zach, really appreciate this. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, I, I can tell you a little bit about my past. My analytics knowledge basically comes from Low Tide, and I would sit there with him uh, every Saturday on Oilers Nation Radio back in the day. Now, this is going back like seven or eight years, and you're well aware that the struggle was real with the Edmonton Oilers, and he would always tell me, like, you know, the underlying numbers, that they're, they're telling me things are trending in the right direction, and it was tough to hear for a long time. So I'm, I'm glad to hear what you say, and it kind of, you know, for someone like me trying to, to understand the analytics a little bit more, I really do appreciate you coming on here and kind of explaining it to me like on five uh, some other things i want to talk to you about and we'll kind of transition from the tyler benson talk in the bakersfield condors is there anyone else down there that you think can make the leap and uh you know we'll even count uh, a guy like ryan mcleod or evan bouchard guys who can take that next step and become uh, key contributors for the edmonton oilers yeah i mean i think both of those players are our two guys that can take that step you know uh, a guy like evan bouchard is somebody that i thought could be a regular in the oilers lineup this season um, I thought he looked really, really well in, in some small sample sizes throughout the season. Ryan McLeod really, really impressed me. I was a little bit concerned when they made that recall. Um, you know, I'm I'm in the camp of I like to, to let players overpercolate a little bit, especially when they're in a good situation like Ryan McLeod found himself in uh, with the Condors this year. Obviously, 27 points, 27 games. But he showed that he was ready to take that step because he came into Edmonton and he looked like somebody who had been playing NHL hockey for 10 years already. I was really impressed with his um, call the cool collectiveness out there. And, and he's very sound positionally. And I think he's a guy that they're penciling in already as the third line center for next season. Um, you know, another name that interests me is Cooper Marodi. He led the American Hockey League in gold this year. Uh, he's one of those guys that's sort of been taking some time uh, in the American League to really work on his game, but he's still only 24 years old. Um, you know, he went the NCAA route playing at the University of Michigan before the Oilers had acquired his rights. Uh, from the Philadelphia Flyers a number of years ago. You know, he's one of those guys, too, that could take a step uh, next year and, and be ready for some NHL time on a fourth-line role. You know, and then uh, looking a little further down the road, we got a guy like Raphael Lavoie, um, who also is showing in a very brief sample size that he can be a productive player. Um, he's continuously scoring goals at every level of hockey he's playing. Um, you know, he was playing in the queue last year, and he had a very successful year there. Then this past season, he was playing over in uh, uh, the second league in Sweden and scored 23 goals in 51 games, then came into Bakersfield and put up 10 points in 19 games in the regular season. Um, so I think he's the guy that's going to be knocking for a, a spot in the Oilers lineup sooner rather than later as well. Yeah, and that, that was actually my next question. I was going to throw another name at you as well, but uh, with Raphael Lavoie, you know, like you said, probably going to be knocking on the door next year. What do you think about uh, Dylan Holloway and, uh, you know, the next maybe couple of years for him? How do you think that timeline looks? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Um, I mean, I was pretty high on, on Dylan Holloway coming out of the draft last year. I talked to some scouts who felt that he could be a real solid addition, uh, you know, to the Oilers' top six in the future. But I don't think anybody quite expected him to go back to University of Wisconsin and have, have as good of a season as he did. 
35 points in 23 games. I, I think he really impressed a lot of people. And I think his his stock as a, a prospect has risen significantly since he was drafted, which is pretty interesting to see for somebody in the 14th overall uh, spot. Obviously, you know, there was so much talk uh, in that 2020 draft about, you know, there being sort of the top 10, top 12, top 13 guys. And I know that a lot of the people were, you know, looking at uh, a couple of other guys that ended up getting taken just ahead of the Oilers. And so everybody was like, oh, man, well, Dylan Holloway, like, you know, he seems like he could be a long shot and maybe he projects a little bit more as like a, a bottom six grinder. And, man, that's not exactly what the Oilers are are looking for. But, again, this is a guy that's been a scorer throughout his entire hockey career, you know, dating back to his time in the AJHL with the Okotoks Oilers where he put up 88 points in 53 games. You know, this is a real solid prospect, I think, that the others have, um, and somebody who could be a, a versatile piece in the future, um, playing up in the top six alongside, um, you know, maybe a guy like Connor McDavid in a couple of years from now. But I think he's a guy that probably needs another year, you know, maybe two in the American League before they rush him in. I think the beauty of it is that the Oilers do have some good depth up front right now and are in a situation where they don't necessarily have to rush uh, Holloway into the lineup. What did you hear from the scouts that you talked to when he was drafted? I remember we were on air and you know we stayed on late, obviously, till the Oilers made their selection. And you know the immediate feedback for Dylan Holloway was not good. Like the fan base, from what we experienced, and I can't speak for everyone, but a lot of people were not too high on him. And we we had a couple scouts hop on immediately and kind of you know change the narrative. Like, no, you you guys are gonna like this guy. Like, he's going to be a good player. He's gonna be working his ass off. He's gonna do the little things. He will fit in on this club, and he's not a bottom six talent. Is that kind of in line with what you heard about him? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was talking with Scout Nong not long after the draft, and, and said that, you know, Holloway is a real solid 2 8 forward, and he's got strong instincts in all three zones. And I think that's something that's really, really important, you know, especially with that. He's, I think, you know, he's got a good blend of his skating size and scoring, and I think that's a, a real rare mix that you see, and I think he's a guy who could come in you know, and be a strong sort of power forward um, type player offensively who, who's strong on the puck. You know, like I, I kind of think of a guy like Jesse Pugliarvi, you know, where he's he just seems to be in the right place all the time, no matter what zone he's in. He's smart with the puck. Um, that's kind of the guy that I could kind of see him projecting uh, toward looking like. And, of course, you know, we don't know what Pugliarvi is going to look like next year. Um, but, you know, for a guy like him, there were some really good signs that we saw. And, you know, the scout that I spoke to about Holloway as well kind of said that, you know, probably two years away from playing in the NHL. So, you know, last year, obviously, he went back and played at the University of Wisconsin. You know, next year, get a good year in the American Hockey League, playing on um, a Bakersfield Condors team that is continuously um, impressing everybody. You know, Jay Woodcroft is doing a great job down there. And and maybe a year or two away from, from making that jump into the NHL. We're joined by Zach Lang of Oilers Nation. And, Zach, you had a piece come out on Wednesday and uh, about Darnell Nurse. And was it a snub, uh, not getting into the Norris uh, Trophy, being one of the finalists for the award? Of course, uh, Makar, Fox, and Hedman were the, the award finalists. And when you look into the numbers from what you saw, and obviously, I mean, if, if you watched, his, his play spoke for itself. Do you think he was a snub for that trophy? You know, I, I'm really torn on it. I don't think he quite had the season to be a winner. Um, but I do think he had enough, a good enough season to be one of those guys in his top three. Um, again, coming back to the analytics, 
Um, <clears throat> you know, things looked pretty good for Darnell Nurse, all things considering this year. Uh, when we're talking about, you know, goal rates per hour on the ice, he had the second most among um, NHL defensemen at five on five who played over 800 minutes. Uh, with with Darnell Nurse on the ice, the Oilers scored 3.68 goals for per hour. That's a really, really impressive number. And that was even higher than a guy like Kale McCarr, who came in at 3.66, versus Adam Fox, who came in at 2.7, and Victor Hedman at 2.65. You know, I think the big thing for Darnell Nurse is still his defensive game needs to develop a little bit more um, to really push himself into that upper echelon. You know, we saw that starting to happen this year, too. You know, I think I could speak for a lot of people in saying that, you know, Nurse impressed people this year. Um, you know, he looked a lot more calm. He looked a lot more collected out there on the ice. And his decision-making skills seemed to be significantly improved. Now, you know, this didn't quite translate into a, a strong analytic season for Darnell Nurse. Um, but based off of everything that I looked at, he, he was right up there and had probably even a better season um, than Victor Hedman did. And, and Hedman came in as one of the top three finalists. So it wouldn't be a surprise for me to see Darnell Nurse being the fourth defenseman when the voting uh, gets released after the award is handed out. Um, I think he had that good of the year, and I think he's close to being a guy who can consistently contend for uh, a Norris Trophy in the future. And, well, I mean, what do you think he can add to his game, and do you think he can carry that out through a full 82-game season? Well, I mean, that's the biggest question, and that's going to be what we'll see this upcoming year. Um, obviously, he's taken some big strides in the last two seasons, both of which um, being, you know, shortened years because of the pandemic. So, you know, can it translate to an 82-game season? I mean, I think it can. He seems to be the, the type of player that has um, the mindset and the work ethic to really push himself uh, to being to reaching that next level. He seems to be that guy that's constantly pushing and, and constantly working to, to better his game, like I know many are in the NHL. Um, but for a guy like Darnell Nurse, he's a natural talent, right? I mean, again, this is the guy that the Oilers took seventh overall. And, you know, it's been a good eight years now that he's been in the Oilers organization. And he's finally starting to hit his stride now at 26, 27 years old um, as he enters the prime of his career. So, you know, I think for him there's still some work to be had in the defensive zone. Uh, you know, I still think his, his positioning can be a little bit better. Uh, I think his decision-making can be a little bit better. And, and those are things that we started to see come with age. And obviously, you know, next year is going to be a huge year for him because it's a contract season as well. So you know that Darnell Nurse is going to be spending this off season, you know, being a new father and enjoying that. But he's going to be putting in a, a lot of hard work uh, in, into himself physically and mentally to, to prepare for um, what should be a big year next year. Another young defenseman and obviously uh... – off the ice, uh, what happened with him was just unacceptable. It was disgusting. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was really cool was the way he handled it. Ethan Bear, obviously, uh, we all saw the attacks that were, you know, thrown his way after the season and just disgusting. But like I said, the way he handled it, uh, maturity beyond his years. What do you think he can add to his game? And, and what kind of player do you think he can be for the Oilers in the future? I mean, I, I, I am a huge Ethan Bear fan. I really am. Um, you know, he didn't have the greatest season this year. Um, he, he had a little bit of bad puck luck on the ice, so to speak. Um, but he's still a guy who's still, uh, still a young defenseman, right? He's only in his, his third NHL season and really only his second true year. He hasn't even played a full 82 game slate in his career yet. Um, but what we've seen from his, him is consistent growth in his game. Um, you know, he had a little bit of issues earlier this year and, and 
had some struggles out of the gate and coming out of training camp. And, you know, he really worked on himself. And then he obviously, as he was getting back into his stride this year, he got that concussion off that weird fluke puck that hit him while he was sitting on the bench. You know, I think he already showed that he has the ability to play top pairing minutes. You know, he did so in 2019-20 alongside Darnell Nurse. And he really didn't look out of place there at all. I think for a guy like Ethan Bear, you know, his puck moving is one of his stronger abilities. And I think for him, you know, he's a guy who could probably work on his skating quite a bit and see some big improvements and big strides there. And I think that would go a long way for him to help him in in transporting the puck out of the defensive zone and, and kind of getting it up the ice because I think that's one area where he still sort of struggles in. But thankfully, he's such a smart player that he's been able to adapt his, his style of play, so to speak. Um, and he makes really strong decisions with the pucks. And, and I think that's one of his strongest assets. You know, for Ethan Bear, I think the sky's the limit. And I think heading into next season, you know, with it looking more and more like Tyson Berry not returning, Ethan Bear is a guy who will be a top-pairing defenseman for the Edmonton Oilers next year. And I think that also bodes well for a guy like Darnell Nurse. We saw Darnell Nurse pull some of his best defensive numbers last year while he was alongside Ethan Bear um, because they complemented each other quite well, I think. You know, Darnell Nurse likes that offensive game. He likes to jump up in the rush. He's not shy about that. And Ethan Bear is kind of more of a, a strong two-way defenseman in that he's a defense-first two-way defenseman, I should say, um, because he's not one of those guys that jumps into the rush a lot. Um, but is rather, you know, looking on having that strong sound defensive positioning. So uh, it could bode well for both of them playing together next year on the top pair. Now, see, this question might be tough to answer, so, uh, you know, uh, do it as best as you can. I, I had Reed Wilkins on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He said he's 100% confident that uh, Adam Larson does return to the Edmonton Oilers. So looking into your crystal ball, if you can, what do you think the Oilers' defensive pairings look like next year? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, there's so much that's going to be at play. You know, I think you can slate in, you know, a guy like Darnell Nurse and Ethan Bear on the top pairing for sure. Adam Larson, off the year that he had last season, he can come back in and be a second, third pairing defenseman on the right side, no problem. But I think one of those spots is slated for a guy like Evan Bouchard. I think he's ready to take that jump to be a full-time NHLer next year. You know, I think on the left side, that's where things start to get really interesting, right? I think a lot of it depends on what's going to happen with, with Oscar Clefbaum in his future. You know, if, if Clefbaum comes back, he'll slide in on that second pairing uh, alongside uh, Adam Larson, and then you're looking at a really strong top four group there uh, that the Oilers have. And then, you know, looking down on the third pairing, I wouldn't hate bringing a guy like Dmitry Kulikov back. Um, you know, the Oilers might lose Caleb Jones in the expansion draft, which I don't think would be a... Uh, a horrible thing to have happen for the organization. Um, but who knows, maybe a guy like William Legison's ready to take that jump into that spot. But, you know, I think, I think what they're probably going to want to do is try and find somebody who's a bit more of a veteran defenseman uh, to play alongside a guy like uh, Evan Bouchard. I think Jamie Alexiak with the Dallas Stars is a name to keep an eye on as a strong depth signing uh, that can play on the third pairing for the Oilers this upcoming year. Uh, and, and help a guy like Evan Bouchard transition into the NHL. 
I, th- I think a lot of Oilers fans would like that if they are able to make that happen. Uh, well, let's talk about free agency. And obviously, Ken Holland got some cap space to work with, but does have to take care of a few of his own. Uh, is there any, anyone out there that you think would be an ideal fit in the Oilers uh, up front there? And uh, I'm sure a lot of people want to know, like, who's going to be the left winger for Connor McDavid? Is there anyone that stands out for you? Uh, I, to be honest, I haven't done a deep dive into the free agent class yet here. Um, there's a couple of names on more of a depth spot that I kind of like. Um, one of those guys is Blake Coleman from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he's a really solid underlying numbers guy. He posts consistently has posted strong uh, analytics in, in a bottom six role throughout his career. Um, you know, another guy that could do that too is Adrian Kempe from the LA Kings. Uh, I think he's been a fairly productive forward for the LA for LA for a number of years. Uh, and could be looking for an opportunity to maybe get a bump up in the lineup. And that could happen here in Edmonton. I, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because the Oilers have an opportunity to free up a lot more cap space than they already have. Um, you know, looking at trading James Neal or buying him out, and same thing with Mikko Koskinen. You know, I think for the Oilers, the best thing that they can try and do right now is to try and get creative and, uh, and, and free up some extra cap space with either of those two guys um, to be able to, to make some bigger additions. And then maybe, hey, you know, you can go shopping for a stud left winger like uh, Taylor Hall maybe, who knows, depending on what happens with him in Boston. But those are those are kind of some of the names that I've kind of liked so far early on. Um, but it's going to be an interesting class of free agents this year, and, and I think there's going to be a lot of time for, for the Oilers to, to break down and make some solid moves there. Would you have a preference, and let's say you can only take one, a couple names that we hear uh, at ten twelve sixty, uh, Jane Schwartz and Thomas Tatar. Would you have a preference between either of those two? Yeah, Thomas Tatar for sure is one of those guys that I think could be a strong addition to the Oilers. Um, you know, I know he's been healthy, stra- healthy scratch here for the Montreal Canadiens, and I think there's been some rumblings that he might be playing a little bit injured as well. Uh, but he's one of those guys that. You know, he's approaching 30 years old, but he's, again, posted solid underlying numbers. And he's been a consistent play producer in the NHL, no matter where he's gone, for the most part. So I think he's one of those guys that the Oilers could maybe look at signing in the, you know, 4 or $5 million range and coming up and playing in the top six alongside maybe Connor McDavid and Jesse Pugliarvi and be able to have a strong impact on the, uh, on the team. I think those are the kind of names that you want to be looking for. Those are the kind of names that... The Oilers have to really push to kind of try and recruit at this time. And who knows, maybe, you know, you get another situation with a, a depth uh, a depth signing like the Oilers did with Tyson Berry last year where, you know, he was able to take significantly less than what the market was offering him and, and came to Edmonton on a one-year sort of prove-it deal. So, you know, I'd be looking for those kind of deals and those kind of players to bring in because, you know, uh, um, Connor McDavid is incredible and, and we've, been able to see him revive players' careers. Uh, even a guy like Pat Maroon, for example, um, you know, his career got completely revitalized playing alongside McDavid. So I, I could see that being the case for a guy like Thomas Tatar too. And how about between the pipes? I think probably safe to say that uh, out in Kelowna or Vernon, where I forget where Ken Holland said they've got their homes together. Mike Smith probably gets an extension. If they are able to get Miko Koskinen out of the organization, is there anyone you think would be uh, maybe best fitted to split the time with Mike Smith? Is it Alex Stalock? Is there someone you might have to go out and trade? Is just any names that you like to potentially uh, be with the Oilers and, and kind of just share the crease with Mike Smith next year? Yeah, I do. And he's actually already in the Edmonton Oilers organization, and that's Ilya Konovalov. 
the Russian goaltender that the Oilers signed to a two-year contract uh, about a month ago or so now. He's a guy who, who has posted some really strong numbers um, over in the KHL, similar to the likes of a guy like Andre Vasilevsky, uh, and they've had very similar career paths up until this point. I think he's a guy that the Oilers really need to, to, to account for coming into camp next year. Um, you know, we've seen recently two other examples in goalies coming over from the KHL who are younger, like Konovalov is, uh, in Ilya Shester- or, sorry, in Igor Shesterkin and Ilya Sorokin, uh, who played for the Rangers and Islanders respectively. You know, they both have posted strong numbers in the K. They came over to the NHL and they've continued to do so. You know, for a guy like Shesterkin, he took about a half a year in the American League before he got recalled uh, to the NHL club. And he was recalled because he was lighting up the American League. Um, and he's come in and been a solid starter for the for the Rangers since. And Sorokin is similar in the sense that, you know, he came over, but he was able to make a jump right into the NHL this year as a rookie. And again, split time in that with Simeon Varlamov, um, posting some really strong numbers for the Islanders, helping them get to where they have been uh, at this point in the season. So I would look at a guy like Kanavalov to come in and, and win a spot in training camp. Um, I think the Oilers are, are likely to probably try and find another solution in the meantime, though. Um, but who knows? It, it could be really interesting. You know, I think especially if the Oilers feel that Kanavalov projects as a starter, you know, a year down the road or even two years down the road, I'm not sure if they're going to want to go out and spend the assets on a guy like um, Elvis Merziklins with Columbus or uh, Corpusalo there either, right? Because we're talking about probably having to move some fairly significant assets in a trade to acquire either one of those guys when the Oilers might have a, a goaltender in their system that's already as good as either of those guys are. Oh, yeah, that would be absolutely outstanding. He's an 85th overall pick back in 2019, and if, if that were to be the case and the Oilers could avoid you know, giving away assets to, to find that goalie of the future or someone to split time in the crease with Mike Smith, that would be absolutely outstanding. And, uh, Zach, just a, while, a couple more questions here for you. really appreciate you doing this today. Uh, the Of course... Draft coming up, uh, well, obviously we've got to handle the Stanley Cup first, but then the draft will eventually come around. The Oilers will be selecting 19th overall. Uh, when you're in that position and you know a team like the Edmonton Oilers, do you think there's a position of need you want to try to address, or is it just best player available? You know, I think for the Oilers right now, probably going best player available is going to be the smartest way to go. Um, you know, I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing a defenseman taken there if there was one available. You know, I think the defensive uh, ranks are starting to starting to filter out a little bit. We've seen guys taking the jump in, in Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones, and Evan Bouchard will be doing so here shortly uh, in the Oilers' development system. So I think you know addressing the defense could be a nice spot there. I also would be interested in seeing if they'd maybe be willing to trade back uh, or trade that pick for a player. Um, you know, I think the Oilers are in a position right now where where they need to get as many. Um, players that can help them win now as possible. Um, you know, we are in Connor McDavid's prime right now. Um, he is only going to be getting better here, even for the next two or three seasons. I think the Oilers really need to start to consider going all in with, with McDavid and Dreisaitl here. And I think, you know, trading that pick for a player um, who could step in and be an impact winger alongside Connor McDavid uh, might be the way to go. Uh, I haven't done a ton of looking into the draft yet, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure on who could be there for, for prospects around that spot that the Oilers could take, but that's something that I'll be uh, 
tackling or diving into soon rather here at Oilers Nation. And Zach, uh, just last question for you. Of course, as we tape this on Thursday night, we don't know the winner of the Golden Knights or Avalanche game, but uh, do you have any favorite to hoist Lord Stanley at the end of this thing? Uh, well, I got a little bit of skin in the in the Colorado Avalanche this year, so I've kind of been hoping to see uh, them go on a run here. You know, I think they've got an incredible team there. Um, they've done a great job in building out a really, really strong roster, and obviously they've got one of the best players in the league and Nathan McKinnon and a defenseman in Kale McCarr, who's already in the Norris conversation and what his second NHL season. Uh, pretty incredible to see uh, what they've been able to build there in a fairly short amount of time. You know, it feels like just yesterday we were talking about them having uh, the, the worst seasons in, in NHL history. So it's pretty incredible to have seen them turn it around. So I'd, I'd definitely like to see them go on a, a good run here. Well, Zach, thanks so much for doing this and uh, for your sake and uh, the skin in the game that you have on the Avalanche. I'll be rooting for them and hopefully they can get it done, stay alive here tonight and uh, force a Game 7. Really appreciate this. We'll have to get you on again down the road. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excellent stuff from Zach Lang of Oilers Nation. He is their news director for Oilers Nation as well as the Nation Network. Highly recommend you check out his writing at OilersNation.com. They do some great stuff there as well with podcasts. Uh, great stuff. Oilers Nation. Give Zach a follow on Twitter as well, at ZJ Lang. And really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, for me, I kind of talked about it in the interview with Zach, but I used to work with Alan Mitchell on the Lowdown with Low Tide. I worked with him on Oilers Nation Radio. We were part of another show together. High noon with low tide. It was something like that. It didn't last too long. Uh, once we did that show, they kind of moved it to Monday to Friday. That was another Saturday show. But, you know, he would talk about the analytics. And I'm not going to lie to you, there was a lot of times where I sat on the other side of the glass and just kind of rolled my eyes. Like, you can tell me things are looking better, but the eye test tells me they're still losing games and they're not playing well and there wasn't too much reason to be optimistic. So, my my nature is to sometimes question the analytics and you know sometimes i think you can take them and kind of use them to fit your narrative but i really enjoyed what zach had to say and you know kind of played both sides of it showed you know how the numbers can help you out and you know what they did to to kind of say that you know what devin short maybe shouldn't have been the first guy you signed maybe you could have filled it in with a guy like Tyler Benson. Maybe it was free agency, maybe it was something else, but uh, once again, like I said, really appreciate Zach doing this today. Like I said, give him a follow on Twitter, make sure you read his work at Oilers Nation, and uh, we'll have to get him on again down the road here, maybe in free agency, maybe uh, towards the draft, maybe even before the season gets going, but we will have Zach back on the other Connor podcast, and that's going to wrap it up for us on this episode of the show. Really appreciate Zach Lang of Oilers Nation hopping on and joining me. We will be back on Tuesday. The off-season preview will continue. Big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. If you are signing up, make sure you use promo code THPN. That stands for the Hockey Podcast Network. I also want to give a big thanks to the fine folks at the Hockey Podcast Network for allowing me to do this. My name is Connor Halley. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. We'll talk to you next time on the other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.